Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at LMFM.ie Thursday morning, the 2nd of June. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reed on LMFM. Dublin Airport it took some time out yesterday to reflect on what was a national embarrassment and a totally unacceptable experience for some 50,000 people, especially the now estimated 1,400 who missed their flights last Sunday. One of the big problems was a shortage of staff. In February, as oil prices spiked, as Ukraine kicked off, as the cost of living was going through the roof, and as we were, you know, we were looking into the summer and we were deeply concerned, we should not have got rid of that amount of people. But if I knew now what I knew then, or if I knew then what I know now, excuse me, I'd have made a very different decision, Deputy Rook. The DAA's CEO, Dalton Phillips, responding to Sinn Féin's Darren O'Rourke. So, this weekend, passenger numbers will be double what they were last week. Dalton Phillips knows now what he didn't know then. So, will the airport do better? Does that mean that if we run that figure through your whole operation, that there will still be eight or 900 people coming into the weekend hours um, missing flights? Absolutely not. We had a very strong you, so you, you, you believe no one will miss a flight this coming weekend? Is that your belief, I'm given com- the plan you've put to I'm You're giving us that guarantee. Are you giving us a guarantee? That, confident that no, no, Mr. 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 Phillips, are you giving us a guarantee that no one will miss a flight over the weekend? I'm going to say again, Chairman, that if if passengers will will heed the two and a half hours, I'm confident with our plans. Right, that's. Uh Dalton Phillips, the CEO of the DAA, uh, he couldn't give that guarantee that the chairman, Kieran O'Donnell and Cormac uh, Devlin were looking for. Let's uh, speak to Darren O'Rourke, uh, who uh, he was speaking to earlier in the clip, uh, Sinn Féin's uh, spokesperson on transport, a member of uh, the committee and a TD for Meath East. Uh, do you share in Mr Dalton's uh, confidence uh, going into this weekend, Darren O'Rourke? Well, I think it's it's hard to. I really want it to to be. I think it's we all want it, and it needs to be a, a success. 
and not the same uh, as we saw last week. Um, I think, you know, I'm I'm not sure we got 100% confidence. We certainly didn't get a guarantee off Dalton Phillips um, because by their own admission, they are still running on very fine margins. So all they need is, you know, a number of things, uh, small things to to go wrong and uh, you possibly have the same situation as you had last week. Now they have an additional buffer and they have additional uh, uh, plans you know you might ask you know some of their plan is to to introduce a, a, a triaging system you know why haven't they been triaging people since since March when these issues first arose um, but the most important point I think is the uh, the pinch point is around the number of uh, search unit personnel they have uh, available and rostered and they have an additional 40 this weekend than they had last weekend. The other thing, they made an, an unmerciful cock-up themselves, um, totally uh, uh, unforced uh, in their rostering. They rostered 17 people um, who were not eligible to do the work that they were rostered to do. So that's 17 people down. There was a, a further 20 absentees, so that's 37 people uh, you know, who would have been uh, manning the, the search unit who weren't there and that's the that's the bottleneck that's mm. the pinch point 17 people who were in training who were rostered to work last Sunday who couldn't have worked and shouldn't have been on the roster but somebody put them onto the roster and nobody spotted the mistake that's a, like that's an absolute failure of an absolute failure of management you know a basic uh, workforce planning piece and there's lots in this Michael I think mm. you know where you might say yeah there's you know the the indicators were aviation wouldn't come back um, but like in, in terms of the decisions that management were in control of it's very clear that they shouldn't have cut as deep as they as they did they certainly shouldn't have cut, cut. they cut the top people they cut the experience from the organisation well paid people yeah, yeah, that, that, that's that's the, the correlation, you know, that's the correlation. Yeah. But with that, you lose people with literally decades of experience that when you're trying to ramp up and recruit quickly, the very people you would rely on to, to for, for those new recruits to lean on, they mm-hmm. weren't there. So so there's a, a huge amount of inexperience in the system. Um, obviously, mm-hmm. it contributes towards the, 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 the rostering chaos. Well, and, there's and a theory, though, isn't there, that they thought that there would be a, a cost saving by letting go the more expensive staff, uh, giving them a redundancy package, that they'd be able to pay people on a, a lower wage. That's come back to bite them if that theory is true. Oh, uh, uh, times ten. Because if you look at it, between overtime, they're 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 uh, paying triple time overtime. They're obviously paying compensation to at least fourteen hundred people um, who miss flights and missed holidays. Um, you know, I, I think it's 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 literally the definition of being penny wise and pound mm. foolish. Um, it really has come back to bite them. It has done huge reputational damage. Um, it is a and they a just don't have people. Uh, uh, I heard Dalton Phillips telling you, the CEO of the Dublin Airport Authority, uh, telling you yesterday that he, he works shifts himself because they just don't have the security staff. We were talking about inexperienced staff uh, a, a few months ago uh, working as security in Dublin Airport. Perhaps they'd be administration or cleaners, but apparently anybody who has a job with the Dublin Airport Authority has also been scheduled to work in security on top of their day job. And that's something that he's doing. And that's despite this 
aggressive recruitment campaign that they've been talking about. Uh, they've had 5,000 applications. They're recruiting people. They're training people and so on. But they're still 60 security staff short. Uh, and this is a, a point uh, that you took up with Dalton Phillips. Maybe we can listen to a little bit of that interaction between you and the CEO yesterday. What happens different this weekend than happened last weekend? What does that look like? Do you have a, an additional reserve? Have you so asked we, we staff have to do... 40 more officers this weekend... Mm-hmm. We have brought officers up from Cork, which we're very grateful for. We have a very extensive overtime package in place, Deputy Rook, which is triple time. Um, We are are releasing all available security staff from other activities that they might have been doing across the airport. We will be consolidating some of our gate posts. Those Those are the sort of outside gate posts for where some of the cargo and other Um, equipment comes into the airport. So we'll be doing a consolidation period to make sure that we've got 10% more, have 10% more lane processing. Um, Obviously, we've got our task force, so we have uh, 450 people who don't work on a frontline role, who are all doing activities. I did Monday last week, 3am, I'll do Thursday, uh, so I'll do Friday and Saturday. That's not really sustainable though, is it, Darren O'Rourke? No, it's certainly not sustainable and you know, the, at the root, of the, the 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 solution to this is to recruit suitably qualified, suitably trained, suitably guarded, cleared um, uh, search unit personnel. They are sixty short of a comfortable level where they would be confident that where where I think mm. you know, if you were to ask Dalton Phillips, will you will you give us guarantees that they would be in a position to give guarantees? They're sixty short. Um, they they hope to have them in place by the end of of June. But, you know, that, that literally leaves you in a situation between now and that point where mm. you're in a very precarious position. Um, where you are, and, and um, you know, as I say, we all really hope that, mm. you know, for, for so many reasons, it's in, in nobody's interest that we see this, the situation that we saw last weekend. But and now they're saying it's two and a half hours or three and a half hours. Add an hour on if you have to check bags in. And it's one thing, let's say, if you're coming from Carlingford or, or Navan or Ratoth, as the case may be. Uh, but if you're coming from Cork, uh, how do you time that if you don't want to spend time standing outside? Uh, I mean, if you're doing any sort of a, a distance, even from this region, you might uh, allow for extra traffic or a breakdown or a puncture or something else that goes wrong uh, along the way. Uh, but if you get to the airport too early, will you be able to get a cup of tea? Yeah, no, you 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 likely won't, um, because. What about the places that sell the tea? Yeah, it was indicated as was indicated yesterday. First of all, they they, they mightn't be open to your. They they, um, they seem to be struggling to recruit staff to put on the the extent of services that they would have had pre-COVID, as I think a, a lot of areas are in hospitality. The other thing that is important and is in, quite incredible that hasn't yet aligned and has contributed to the problems is that uh, um, the airport might be open, the security might be open, but the check-in desk mightn't be opened. And that's advice that people have been given. Oh, well, you can arrive early with your baggage, but you need to check with your airline to see if they will take the baggage off you. Or, you know, you might be coming from Kerry. Can you come up the night before? And that just, logistically, it just turns uh, uh, things upside down for people. Um, And, you know, it's not the way an efficient service runs. And again, you know, it's it's all uh, as a result of of the the capacity and, and resource or shortage at the airport. Okay. Uh, he was asked uh, as well about bringing in the army or somebody else uh, who has already been guarded vetted. 
like somebody was onto us yesterday. I'm not sure if it was tongue and cheek, uh, but when you stood back and talked about how serious the problem is, maybe it wasn't a, a bad idea. They were saying maybe there'd be jobs there for teachers over the summer. So the the the, the first thing, and, and we've d- discussed all of this through t- uh, with with the the DAA. You know, uh, what's the issue here? Where, where's the pinch point? The pinch point is in suitably qualified, suitably guarded, trained uh, search unit personnel. That's the shortage. Um, uh, they have the task force. They could bring in the army. They could bring in teachers or whoever else. Um, lots of people have contacted us, you know, school bus drivers because I'm the transport spokesperson and saying we'll be off working in a few weeks. We could we could help out. They would anybody else would be limited in what they can do. They can do the, what they call the divestment piece, which is really important in terms of of flow. But that's the bit where you you know you you come in and and they say take your belt off, check your bag, make sure you have the liquids out. Like that in terms of catch people along the way and ensuring that you don't put, you know, you're not wearing your belt going through and, you know, in, in terms of the flow of passengers through. But it's really limited what those additional people can do unless they are uh, have this additional guard clearance and it's an, an, extra, an additional type to ordinary guard clearance because you have to have airside guard clearance and the army don't have that, for example. Um, and you need to be trained on the equipment to, to be, you know, 100% useful and, and, and make the, the, the maximum contribution. So that that's the pinch point. That's the area where, where, where they need to get um, mm-hmm. people recruited. And, and, and some of what, what we had suggested was, well, as an emergency, and this is an emergency because it's a national embarrassment, an international embarrassment, can you look at other airports um, where you would have those type of people? And they are looking at Cork. Cork Airport under the, the they're under the DAA group. Other airports don't have that that uh, 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 personnel available. Um, they, they've looked internationally in in Birmingham and in, in Britain and elsewhere. But so there's a huge demand for for this type of people. And I I, I do think there's an important point here mm. um, that if 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 you do have that redeployment of staff. If to Dublin in Dublin's hour of need, there needs to be a, a, a quid pro quo because I visited Shannon Airport, I visited Cork Airport. Um, the, the, there is a regional imbalance uh, in, in terms of, of aviation policy here, and we we do need a, a redress of that to strengthen the Midwest and the the West and and, and the South. And there is opportunity in the next next national aviation policy, but. It, at the, to do that, but at the minute we're in the middle of a of a crisis, and it needs to be all hands on deck, all shoulders to the wheel, um, to get it through, get it through this, and that's what we really need to see from from DEA management, and to be supported by government in it. Okay, um, are you laying blame at the government's door? Well, ultimately, that in any of this stuff, uh, Michael, it's it's government who are responsible for the overseeing of uh, of, of policy. Um, government have signed off on the cuts and the types of cuts. Uh, if there is a suggestion that this was uh, driven by a cost-cutting measure, an opportunity to take advantage of the pandemic that needed to be signed off at the Department of Transport and by the Department of Public Expenditure and Reform, 
the, the, the state mm. has additional resources. And look, ultimately, if we have a scenario where Dublin Airport, our national airport, the impact of where, mm. you know, visiting tourists are, are trying to, to leave the country and that's their last experience of Ireland and it's, on the, it's in the pages of the New York Times, mm. uh, the type of negative... I was reading in the New York Times the other day, some fellow quoted saying you need seven hours uh, to, before your flight, yeah. uh, if yeah. you're flying uh, out of Dublin. Uh, where is the solution, though? Uh, I mean, it, if there's concern about this weekend, there's no guarantee about this weekend. You can't even use the army this weekend. Should they bring in the people that they let go this weekend? Well, well, that and I raised that with, with them, Michael, as well. That's certainly, you know, so, so I have to say I am not uh, fully convinced that the DAA, supported by government, have fully stretched everything to the limit. Because don't, don't forget, you know, they've come with a, a new contingency plan that's going to be implemented this weekend. Some of it is quite simple stuff that you might say should have been implemented weeks ago. Do you know, so it's, it's almost as if the crisis has to precipitate before there is, you know, a, a, another uh, degree of, of action taken. Um, so are there additional uh, personnel uh, either, you know, mm. in the DA group or in other airports here or the people that they had let go that have those that maybe could be fast-tracked back? Are there other contingencies that can be made? What are they going to do on uh, Saturday morning if, you know, 17 people aren't available or 20 people aren't available for whatever reason? Have they got a fallback plan? How quickly can they react? That's That will be the measure of success and failure. Um, and, you know, okay. there, there will be literally no forgiveness, I think, if, if, if it goes wrong again. Mm, OK. <laughs> that may be the understatement of the week. Thank you indeed for joining us uh, this morning. That's uh, Darren O'Rourke, Sinn Féin TD for Mead East. He's his party spokesperson on transport and a member of uh, the Rocktus Joint Committee on Transport. Michael Michael Reed Reed on LMFM. The IDA has paid out almost 10 million euro in grants to PayPal since 2012. Uh, The figures were given uh, to the Labour spokesperson on finance, Jed Nash, who's a TD for Loud and East Mead and joins us on the line. A very good morning to you, Jed Nash, and thank you indeed for joining us on the programme this morning. That's a a lot of money, €10 million, and it comes in the context of the recent announcement that 307 people are to be made redundant by the company. That's right, and uh, I've uh, engaged with uh, many uh, staff from PayPal who are concerned that their jobs are at risk uh, since the announcement last Tuesday. Uh, And what I wanted to find out Michael, was the extent of grant aid that the IDA have allocated to PayPal uh, since uh, 2011. And the figures that were revealed to me in the doll are, are very interesting. Over €8 million euro in grants paid to the Dundalk facility alone and just over a million euros paid back in 2010, or at least allocated in 2010. That payment may not have come through till 2011 or 2012 on R&D, research and development. That is in Blanchard's terms. So the bulk of the grants actually went to the Dundalk um, operation and it's the Dundalk operation that's primarily in the firing line now in relation to potential job losses. And those grants were paid for what reason? Employment grants and there's a number of different grants mm. that uh, the IDA pay out they can pay out training grants, research and development grants, uh, various grants and I asked for information across all headings so it's interesting that in the context of Dundalk um, the uh, only uh, grants that were paid were actually to support employment so in other words um the IDA would, in the first instance, try to attract the company to Ireland, and the IDA is always in competition with England, Scotland, France, you name it, you yeah. know, 
countries across the European Union for investment, and then they decide uh, where they're going to locate these jobs in you know particular region, particular town, particular county. So. Part of that, all, part, of, part of that consideration always is employment grants. So, how much is IDA going to actually award to a company that says, "Look, we're going to create a thousand jobs, two thousand jobs. What's in it for us?" So, what's been in it for PayPal at least ten years ago it was a total of uh, eight million euro in employment grants. So eight million one hundred and seventy thousand euro, I think, to be exact. That's that's right. That's right. Just over uh, eight, eight, eight million euro. So a very significant amount of money at a very difficult time for our economy. And that's that's one of the tools that IDA uses. But all too often it's the case that when those grants dry up, uh, that companies, particularly the service industry, decide that they're going to look at relocating jobs or outsourcing jobs to what they might consider to be lower-cost economies. And staff that I've spoken to um, in Dundalk over the last uh, few days have told me that, uh, as far as they're concerned, <clears throat> the decision may have been taken quite some time ago to relocate their jobs to parts of Asia. And we're obviously in a very competitive global environment at the moment. And PayPal may, may consider Ireland to be an expensive economy from the point of view of labour costs. And we make no excuses mm. for demanding that large corporations to locate in Ireland should pay their staff well. And that should be one of the uh, important um, you know, points that our country should make. It's part of our value system. Uh, hard work should be... Um, should be should be rewarded, uh, but now it seems that uh, those grants are no longer available. IDA in a subsequent reply, Michael, which you would have seen, I sent on to you from Tarnstra, um two days ago in the Dáil, it told me that <clears throat> IDA themselves had been engaging quite intensively with PayPal over the last period of time. It seems to me that they tried to um, you know seek to avoid. Uh, this level of redundancy, uh, and uh, I was told, and I quote, uh, IDA is actively engaged with company executives in both Dundalk and Dublin throughout uh, its time in Ireland, and during 2021 and 2022, uh, IDA engaged with the company on a number of fronts with the overarching aim of maintaining the competitive position of PayPal's Irish operation, deepening its operations in Ireland, and potentially extending its mandate in Ireland into new functions and activities. Now, I know that this is work that IDA do all mm. the time. They work intensely with existing companies, as well as trying to attract other companies into the country. But it seems to me, based on all that information, that PayPal were hell-bent, hell-bent uh, on um, introducing additional redundancies in Dundalk this year, to relocate those jobs to lower cost economies. They had another scheme last year, Michael, and this is a point that's been made to me by PayPal staff who are really, really frustrated. Um, They're telling me, look, we can't rely on this company anymore. We've got mortgages, we're trying to buy a house, we're trying to feed our families, we're trying to eat eat our homes, and we're mentally exhausted because we don't know uh, what year they're going to target more redundancies. There were redundancies last year, 12 months later, they're announcing 172 redundancies. And that level of instability is difficult for staff to have to take. Yeah, right. Well, it's kind of coincidental, or is it? Uh, and this is a question that we were asking uh, over the course of the last couple of weeks, uh, that in Dundalk recruitment started in February 2012. Uh, practically 10 years to the day, in May 22, PayPal is letting go of the people that have started rec- recruiting 10 years previously. Uh, and just to explain to people about these employment grants and and stop me along the way if I'm wrong, but there's a, a basic principle or theory to all of this. If somebody is unemployed, they get about €200 Euro a week. And if they're getting €200 Euro a week, it costs the government about €200 Euro a week to make that payment to them because of the administration. So an unemployed person costs the state in or around €400 Euro a week. 
And if the government or the IDA on behalf of the government goes to a company like PayPal and says, look, let's split the difference. You employ somebody, we give you 200, we save 200. It's a good deal all round. Not only that, but the employee is on more than the 400 that it costs the state, hopefully, uh, and they're earning good money. They're paying taxes to the government. The government uh, is clawing money back that way. Uh, And then, of course, they're spending locally in the economy and it's good all round. Uh, And and that's the idea of making these employment grants uh, available to companies like PayPal quite often for 10 years. And here, 10 years after, the company receiving 8,170,000, uh, you won't, well, they're not pulling out, but they're certainly pulling back. Yeah, um, that's, I think, a, a fair and reasonable um, assessment, uh, Michael. Uh, and uh, I, I, I won't, I can't categorically say that those issues that you outlined are, aren't unconnected. Um, that's been the experience uh, over many years. When grants dry up, uh, certain vulnerable jobs go uh, to lower cost uh, economies. And, and the reality is, and I said it on the programme last week, um, IDA do claw back uh, employment grant supports uh, on a pro rata basis <clears throat> when a company is leaving the country. And I was looking at the figures again just earlier this morning. €55 million Euro has been clawed back by IDA but from companies who have actually left Ireland, right? So uh, they say that PayPal have a commitment, uh, a deep commitment, a long-running commitment to Ireland, uh, to both uh, Dundalk and Blanchardstown. Therefore, uh, based on that commitment that IDA have received and the fact that they've still got a significant footprint from Dundalk, which we hope will be maintained in the interest of, 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 of Dundalk, Loud and the region more generally and the people who work there and their families, you know, situation is that money will not be clawed back and, and this this is this is how it operates so I'm meeting IDA tomorrow uh, I've made contact with IDA as soon as this announcement was made last week to better understand what their level of engagement was with PayPal because it is always easier to save a job than it is to create one and I am concerned as I said on the programme last week and I've reason to be concerned looking at the last IDA annual report that the not just the quantity but the quality of jobs that's being attracted into County Louth has, um, for the want of a better description, diminished over the last period of time. If you look at it, Cork, for example, is very big on pharma, and Louth now has become a location that IDA seems to be prioritising for service-type jobs. Now, every single job and every IDA-supported job is important. We have nearly 300,000 people employed by foreign direct investment companies in Ireland, and it's a really important part of our economy, and it should continue to be... Uh, the case, but the reality is that if you're in Louth, uh, or if uh, Louth used to be in the border region for IDA purposes, now in the mid east region, either way, uh, the, the border region and the mid east region are come, come I think, uh, second and third last in terms of IDA supported jobs oh. across this country. And when you look at the kind of what we call the value add, right, um, the amount people are paid. Uh, which is obviously linked then to the amount of money circulating in the economy, it may be lower than, for example, uh, comparative uh, areas in Cork or, or Limerick or indeed Dublin City. Mm. And that is an issue, uh, and that is a political issue um, for do government, you, and that is an issue I'll be raising again with IDA. Do you think that policy of paying companies to I- I invest, uh, in, in this case, almost £10 million over the course of 10 years, uh, is a prudent policy if they can pull the plug after 10 years? Um, 
There's a couple of ways of looking at this, Michael. We're in a hugely competitive uh, global market for foreign direct investment. And you know, Ireland can continue to remain competitive based on the fact that we've got a very highly skilled workforce. It's a dynamic economy. It's a pro-business environment. And we demand that those who come here pay good wages. And that's as it should be. We're a developed economy and people should be entitled to expect a decent income for the work they do and the expertise that they provide to their employees because it is only through quality employment and quality employees where a company can grow and develop and become profitable. We're in a massively competitive environment and it is normal for a state like Ireland to try to use uh, various tools in its armory to try to you know, attract uh, high quality foreign direct investment jobs to our shores and we do that very, very well indeed. This is a reality. Um, it's a problem in France, it's a problem mm. in Spain, it's a problem in Germany. It's a very competitive environment and while it is not perfect uh, and nobody claims that it is that once grants by out that company can make these decisions, mm. my argument is that you know the agency should be working harder to try to retain the jobs we have already uh, and not just to provide, by the way, um, uh, employment grant supports, but if there are training and R&D type supports that mm. need to try and make the business evolve um, and grow the business, then that's... Or, or, or invest that money in small indigenous business, I, I think might be a, another argument. I see somebody well, asking, how does it cost the government €200 Euro to pay somebody €200? Euro? But maybe that's for a, another day. Can I ask you, uh, before you leave us, uh, about the IDA engagement with PayPal? Uh, my right in thinking, you sound suspicious about that in the sense that you feel that they saw this coming and that's why they were engaging with them last year. I think that may very well be the case. Um, but there's always intensive engagement uh, between IDA officials and uh, IDA-backed companies. Uh, and, you know, there, there's a, an early warning system, we'll say, within the organisation that if there's a vulnerability for jobs, they do work intensely to try to um, save those jobs and understand why companies might be making or preparing to make the kinds of decisions that were made um, last last week, um, they, they do that, and they generally do that quite well. And that's not the stuff that we read about. I mean, we see all of the time, you know, high profile IDA announcements. But the kind of meat and drink of uh, IDA officials' work is actually working with those companies, getting under the bonnet, understanding why they may decide to, to to relocate. And part of this is the reality, Michael, of of global capitalism. And it is it is very very competitive to attract and, and uh, retain. You know, high quality, high quality jobs, and I do, and I do respect the work that IDA does. They do an enormously important job on behalf of our country. Uh, but you know, we have to learn from this and have to understand why IDA and PayPal have made this decision, and if there's more that IDA and government can do to retain high quality jobs in our country, because we are mm-hmm. entering a really difficult time in mm-hmm. our economy. Mm-hmm. Um, there's the potential for it, certainly stagnation in the European economy and the global economy and potentially recession. And I don't want to talk mm-hmm. that up because that no, creates no problems. But there is a very real reality uh, facing There's a, a real reality and people are feeling it already. Yeah. Okay. Um, but you are right. You are right, Michael, in relation to we do need to pivot away from our over-reliance on foreign direct investment and back uh, you know, our small and medium enterprises in this country to grow. Uh, and to innovate and to export because that's where the magic is for our SME sector. We don't do that enough. They may not 
get the support that they require to be able to you know evolve their companies uh, remember uh, the vast majority of people in this country are employed by SMEs and mm-hmm. not by foreign direct investment we have okay. to have that balance and we're vulnerable I know I'd say there's a lot of a lot of SMEs who are raising their eyebrows at the idea of PayPal getting 10 million off the Irish government in uh, the last 10 years especially given uh, the scale of the job losses uh, that we're looking into in the coming weeks Jed Nash thank you indeed for joining us Jed Nash is Labour spokesperson on finance and uh, TD for Loud and East Meath. Now, somebody in touch with us uh, about the situation in Dublin Airport saying, take back the staff that they let go. Simple way to sort it out. Uh, Another way to sort it out is to get the rosters right. Don't put names on the roster that shouldn't be on the roster and won't be coming into work uh, because that's what happened. Uh, With 17 security guards in Dublin Airport last Sunday, What you haven't concentrated on for me is what happened last Sunday and those 17 people that were scheduled that shouldn't have been scheduled. That's serious, like. How did that happen? So we haven't had any detail there, so can you talk to me about that? So those 17, and Marcy may want to um, give some further colour, so those 17, Senator Julie, they were uh, in our training programme. Oh yeah, I know, I get that. But how did they get onto the schedule? How did it make it all the way down to the front line? That's a bit like saying there were 20 people going to London, but you know what, Jesus, they ended up on the flight no, to France. No, we, we had a manual process failure. So we had a, I mean, what you'd call a handoff failure. And we made a mistake. We have corrected that anomaly. But we have a training team that was working on no, one I get, system. I get all of that, but it's, it's just the, the, the fact that critical, it shouldn't have happened. critical data like that got shouldn't have happened. put in. But, but what... Are there con- can I finish? Is, are there consequences for somebody? And I don't want you to come in here and name any, but there must surely there's a, a chain of command. It, somebody just didn't rock in and move these 17 around mistakenly. Senator Dooley, we, and I know Morris wants to come in, but I, I would say we have a very, and this is back to Deputy Smith's comments, we have a very committed workforce who are working incredible shifts. I know many of them. And, and the security leadership team all who are doing multiple 3 a.m. shifts and then doing a day job. Nobody's trying worrying. to do anything wrong. Do you not accept it's worrying that there aren't checks and balances? We all make mistakes. I was very My concerned. God, I've, I've made plenty of them. So we were very I'm, concerned, uh, Senator. That, that, so, so, I don't know, Mark, okay. if you want to add anything to that. I, I, I sincerely apologise. We made a mistake. And we hold our hands up to that. It's not, we it's, did make no, a mistake. No, if I can, because I don't want to blame anyone. It's not about mistakes. No. But, like, this is key process. This is key process. There should be checks and balances. It should never get to a point that you have to apologise. You know, maybe someone in the chain of command says, I messed up, but somebody else caught it. To have such a critical um, error that led to such consequence, financial for you, distraught, dis- yeah. you know, disruption for everybody else. And it's not the person that made the mistake. It's, it's the box in which it was made. It's the chain of command. So if you can explain that a little bit better, it would be helpful. Or not at least come back to us on it because that to me speaks to an overall cultural issue around the processes that you have. That's Fianna Fáil Senator Timmy Dooley putting those questions uh, to Dalton Phillips and the management of uh, the Dublin Airport Authority. Michael Reed on LMFM. I think Linda is annoyed. She might even be red in the face. Uh, I'm sorry if that's not the case, Linda. I was just reading your comment, though, and you really do sound as though you're very annoyed about what's happened in Dublin Airport. She says you have to ask yourself how it was allowed to happen. Rostering people for jobs who were not, in fact, available. You couldn't make it up. She says it also puzzles me why there was no guarantee given yesterday that nobody would miss a flight this weekend. Why is that? 
It doesn't exactly instill confidence, which is not good for the travel industry. My blood is boiling over the whole thing. The least you can expect when you spend your hard-earned cash on a holiday is that you get to go and that you're not worrying that you could miss your flight through no fault of your own. Thanks, Linda, uh, for that. And uh, I don't know. I mean, as I say, the idea of queuing, uh, some people will find it easier than others. Uh, And for physical reasons, a lot of people will find it difficult. Uh, There's questions about the toilets and all of that. They're talking about putting toilets in now. People will be coming from long distances. Uh, They've had to uh, make allowances for things that can go wrong wrong along the way if you're coming from Cork, Kerry, Galway or Carlingford, uh, you might get a puncture. um, uh, And indeed, uh, you'd never know. uh, You could come across an accident and a road blocked or whatever the case may be. Um, There's also the issue of stress. Um, There's a lot of people who are very, very stressed about flying. And they like the whole thing to be as relaxed as possible. They like to get to the airport early. They like to sit down. They don't like the rush. Uh, They want to make sure that there is no panic, that they're not worried about getting the flight and all of that. And this is going to add to that stress. And it really is not what people want. And there's no doubt about that. Uh, And, of course, you're paying good money. Although if you're so mean uh, that you're not really uh, paying, uh, no wonder you're outside the airport. Maybe that's uh, one thing we take from yesterday, uh, because there's some people who didn't have to queue and uh, they played, uh, was it 275 or 375 extra for... Uh, the platinum service. Uh, we might hear more about that later. Uh, Mary is in East Mead, and Mary was on about the airport as well, and she says, what's happening? Uh, it's going to put people off flying altogether. I was speaking to two different couples over the weekend who had been thinking about going abroad on holidays, but they're now reconsidering because they couldn't be bothered with all of that hus- hassle and maybe missing their flight. I'm sure those who depend on the travel industry for a living must be very frustrated by the whole situation, especially as they took such a hit during COVID. Thanks, Mary and East Mead. Uh, we'd a uh, listener in Navin in touch with us saying, uh, in if you're in business like the DAA who caused the chaos at Dublin Airport, heads should roll at the top. They clearly don't know how to do their job. They expect, they beg your pardon, they expect people to work for a pittance while all uh, 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 of uh, the management have disgracefully high salaries. It's a, a, a prime example of double standards in this country, says our Navin listener. Uh, we'd, uh, another text from somebody else said, Michael, listening to Dalton Phillips, his attitude is very condescending. Don't think he feels in any way responsible. He's a VIP and above all that. Well, that's where the VIPs go on that platinum service <laughs> and you don't have to bother with that queuing. Maybe that's uh, what our caller means. I don't know. But thank you indeed if you have been in touch with us today. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now, over 66% of people in Denmark have voted in favour of joining the EU's common security and defence policy. It ends a 30-year opt-out in response to the war in Ukraine. Uh, It's a policy that uh, Denmark has had in place since 1993. Uh, And it comes on the back of Sweden and Finland joining NATO. What's next? Well, Ireland may be heading down that road, uh, listening uh, to the Thonish speak in Rotterdam this week at a a meeting of uh, the Fine Gael grouping in Europe, the EPP. Uh, The Thonish said uh, that he believed that it would be possible to win a referendum on joining a European Defence Force. 
Uh, but he, he did say that there is no political support here yet for joining NATO, but this European army that the Tanisha thinks uh, people would agree to signing up to should have very close links to NATO. Let's uh, speak to local Fine Gael TD, Fergus O'Dowd. A very good morning to you, Fergus O'Dowd. Thanks indeed uh, for joining us on the programme this morning. Are you surprised by what Leo Bradker has been saying? Well, I think there's a lot of debate going on in all political parties and none about, you know, obviously, clearly, the war in the Ukraine has brought this very sharply into focus with everybody. Now, we haven't had a debate within Fine Gael on it, and obviously there will be strong views on all sides within Fine Gael different views and um, I think it's important that we have a national debate on it but regardless of what the Taoiseach, the Taunish, or I think there can be no actual change in our status uh, without a referendum so ultimately it's for the people to decide what the future holds in terms of our neutrality and in terms of any proposed or alliances or whatever. Mm, that referendum in Denmark got uh, the support of over 66% of people. The latest poll on this here uh, was in the Irish Times uh, and 66% of us uh, didn't want this. According to the poll, we want to remain neutral. Yeah, of course. And I, I, would certainly, I would certainly support that view. Uh, that's my personal position. But when you say neutral, I think uh, it's qualified to the extent that we're military neutral. It's not that we're neutral in terms of, you know, in terms of Europe, Europe, you know, the support, for instance, that we're giving to the Ukraine is not military goods we're giving them, but we're giving them other and support services. Uh, but neutrality has been there for, for many, many decades, and it served Ireland well. It served us well because our army has been used basically in peacekeeping. And if you're a neutral country uh, and there's a, a war going on, if you're, you know, you, you, and if it's United Nations peacekeeping force, where countries like Ireland are very welcome into those uh, mm. situations, and it's a very, it, it, you know, instead of as what's happening in Ukraine, like the Russians are killing people left, right, and centre, a peacekeeping force is protecting life and it's stopping aggression. Uh, so, like, you know, uh, so Michael, I would make that distinction, um, and our, our, you know, we're highly respected. We're also members of the United Nations Security Council now, and I know that's a temporary position that you hold for a number of years. So I, I, I think that Ireland is, is very well talked mm. in the world. And it's a, a very difficult conversation, really, isn't it? I mean, it's very difficult to have a, a concrete position on because uh, you may not want to be a warmonger, but you don't want to be a coward either. Uh, and quite often people will say that means you, you don't want other countries fighting your battles for you and their boys dying and your boys uh, not going to war in a situation like that. Uh, but you do want to be somewhere in the middle, but it's not always possible to be somewhere in the middle. Uh, I mean, the Second World War, probably a good example of that. Uh, if there had been a threat to this country, would we have just sat back and waited to have been invaded? Or if Putin extends uh, his aggression past Ukraine now, what next then? Well, there are the questions, Michael, that we need an answer to as a nation. And that's why, as I understand it, why we are increasing our military spending and I think there's a figure of 500 million I've seen in the media uh, to protect. Like when when the Russian ship came into Irish waters, there was nothing we could do about it if they if they turned left into Cork Harbour. You, you know what I'm saying? So, uh, like there is a significant threat to Ireland. Obviously, aggression uh, from Russia is appalling and evil. 
and uh, we have to we, we we can't stand still so i think the first thing we have to do we, we have to spend more money defending uh, our country potentially in terms of uh, attack or cyber attack or whatever and secondly increase cooperation without changing our, our our military position in terms of being military neutral i think is where people would want to go but this, it's also been mooted by the by the Taoiseach that there would be a, you know there would be a, a special discussion uh, a, a citizens assembly on all of these issues and that everybody is entitled to their voice on this and i think what the Taoiseach did he's starting a debate um, and I think everybody's, ha- well, you're having it and I'm having it right now. Um, obviously, we don't want our children or our grandchildren to go out and die as they had to in previous wars and the, in the fields of Flanders or wherever it was. Um, so we want, you know, but at the same time, we have, we're part of the European Union and, and we have to resist aggression as well. So that's the, as you say, that's, that's what we have to do. That's the complex situation mm. we face. Do you think that there's pressure on Ireland to join a European army uh, from the European Union? Uh, I mean, well, I've no doubt it, there is. I've no doubt yeah. there is. I mean, obviously, there's diplomatic representatives, ambassadors of, 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 of all countries in Ireland, and they would be making, obviously, their, their, their point of view known. There was a theory that there would be a quid pro quo as such uh, for the bailout. Uh, we'll bail you out uh, if uh, you sign up to a defence policy. Well, I think if you look at it this way, if if a Russian air, if a Russian uh, plane uh, is, is war plane is approaching Ireland at the moment, mm. we can't we can't go anywhere near it. Or a quid pro quo for uh, yeah, Brexit. What, what, what I mean is that yeah. what actually happens is that the British RAF will come mm. over and, and show mm. themselves. Uh, so, like the, there is in fact a cooperation there, and there has to be there. Mm. So we're the outlier in Europe, and it is obviously the, the phrase they mm. the military people is a vector of attack. That that you could be attacked through us directly. Okay, uh, but w- I suppose what I'm asking you now. is if Sorry, if Leo Radker is articulating now what was agreed uh, as part of the terms of the bailout or as part of the terms of Brexit. No, no, not at all. No, 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 no. Uh, like Brexit is a deal between or a broken deal between the British government and the European Union. Mm. Uh, and we didn't negotiate that, but we were clearly very much a part of it in terms of our input. Uh, no, this has nothing to do with it. And, um, like, again, nobody, nobody in this country can agree to join NATO unless the people say yes. And, I mean, to have a citizen's debate on these issues is a good idea so people can clarify, you know, what, what, is that, what do people actually think and to look at all of the options and I think that, you know, there are very sensible options uh, in the recent report in, uh, you know, into the Defence Forces. And standing still is not an option for us. We're going to have to improve our defence capability. But I, I think if we do that, I have no issue with that. But I would certainly be opposed to joining any, you know, to, to, you know, to joining NATO. Absolutely, I would. OK. Um, as you say, we're going to be having this uh, debate uh, and uh, thanks uh, for starting it here with us. Uh, Fergus O'Dowd from the Gael TD for Louth and the East Meath. Paddy Duffy in touch with us about Ireland's neutrality and saying that successive governments have left us defenceless. Uh, he compares uh, what uh, they're doing in Finland compared, uh, as I say, to what the Irish government has been doing in terms uh, of its uh, defence forces and he says that if we want to remain neutral we still have to be able to defend the neutrality and not be a toothless wimp thanks uh, Paddy 
never behind the door with the language. Uh, Seamus in Dundalk says, uh, when it comes to the airport, this is the security at the airport that we're talking about. Should it not take priority over everything else? Thank you indeed uh, for that, Seamus. Uh, another call to us about the airport from Pat and that boy, who says, if I was going on holiday tomorrow, I'd book through Belfast. It's smaller, quicker, and so that means less stress. Thank you indeed, Pat and that boy. I think that there could be a few others uh, who'd agree with you. They'd be able to get parking as well, probably, and uh, just uh, walk up then from your car to the door into the airport and get in the plane, as you'd expect, given the amount of money that you're spending on it all. Uh, thank you indeed uh, to everyone who has been in touch with us so far today. Michael Michael Reed on on LMFM. Well, not a day goes by in Leinster House uh, without cost of living being top of the agenda. Isha, you're not a commentator. We all know the external factors that are pushing up prices. They've been referenced many, many times before. That's Sinn Féin's Pierce Doherty who described uh, the government's approach as being piecemeal, slow and sluggish. He went on to say that the government measures have not made a dent in the costs that people are facing. But the key point is this. We have taken a lot of measures which you ignore and decide not to, not, not to acknowledge. And I've referenced some of them. We've cut public transport fares by 20%, 50% cut. We've cut fares for young people by 50%. We've lowered, lowered the threshold for drug payment scheme to €80 Euro per month, benefiting over 70,000 families. We've brought forward a working family payment uh, budget increase. We abolished inpatient hospital charges for children. We've capped annual rent increases at 2%. We've, and, and also, uh, we've introduced um, significant supports for, for different sectors of the economy affected by these very significant price hauliers, um, uh, grain farmers, uh, pig farmers and so on, and people who are affected. And in addition to that, we've launched a, a very significant national retrofitting scheme. But the cutting of tax and the increases in social protection have mattered. Now, we want to now explore with the social partners how we deal with this in a comprehensive strategic way. Because one thing we cannot do, Deputy, which you want to do, you cannot chase inflation away month after month by a billion or two billion a month. That is not a sustainable pathway. What you are proposing is to create even further inflation over and above what is there all with a view all with a view to pursuing electoral advantage over a crisis that's been caused by brutal regimes. Charge and countercharge every day, it seems, in Lancer House. Uh, the Taoiseach uh, responding there to Sinn Féin's Piers Doherty, who's on uh, the line with us. And a very good morning to you, Piers Doherty, and thank you indeed uh, for joining us on the programme uh, this morning. There is one thing that you both uh, agree on, and that, that there is a very real crisis that people are facing in this country. But there really is no meeting of minds in terms of the approach to tackle that crisis. You really are worlds apart, it would seem. Yeah, I think the, the, the government is really in denial of where ordinary people are at. They call it a crisis, they recognise it as a crisis, but that needs to translate into something. Uh, yesterday I told Atisha about how one charity was providing 5,000 uh, food parcels to families. They expect that to increase to 15,000. They talked, you know, we heard about people who never thought that they would have to go to a food bank to stand in the queue for a charity to hand them you know, cereal so that they could feed their, their children in the morning. Uh, we hear of parents who, uh, at this time of the year, you know, are, are, are getting letters home from school about a school tour and maybe a 30 or 40 euro charge, and that's causing a family crisis. 
And, and these are things that, you know, that no family should have to face in this day and age. And we recognise, you know, that this most of this inflation is internationally based. It's not all, but most of it is international. Most of it is a result of the war in Ukraine. We also recognise that the government can't protect everybody from the inflation that, that has taken place at this point in time. But what they can do is they can do more. And mm. that's what they must do. And that's why we've been arguing with the government now for quite a long time. More than the two and a half billion, though. Uh, and I mean, this is uh, the counter argument that we hear every day uh, and how that two and a half billion is broken down. Yeah, look, you know, you know what, there's an old phrase about statistics and numbers and you, know, you can use them and abuse them whatever way you want. So I'm not even going to tell you what, what I would say in terms of the two and a half million, but what a billion that the government are talking about. But what I, what, what I will tell you, because it goes back to last year's budget, which is normal routine expenditure and they're wrapping it all up and all the rest. But I affect, which is the Irish Fiscal Advisory Council. Now, they're a very conservative group. They're set up to make sure that we don't have an economic crash, that we are aligned with the rules that are in Europe and, and, and so on. They have, they have just published a report uh, this week. Uh, they were before the Finance Committee yesterday. Uh, and they, in their report, are very clear that the government has spent, since the start of the year, uh, just over a billion euro of additional supports uh, during this uh, inflation period. They also make the point that 90% of them are untargeted. Uh, they also make the point that uh, by doing that, that you can actually cause more inflation uh, because what they say in their report is that some of these people, because they're untargeted, it's just actually increasing the savings of people. So, for example, Michael Martin got many of the same supports that people who were chewing in those uh, food uh, food for food parcels. And that's not the type of approach we need. But the Fiscal Advisory Council, a conservative body, have said very clearly the government has more scope to intervene with targeted measures to protect those most vulnerable. The central bank has said the same thing. We know that there is space here. We know that there is an improvement in the uh, in the finances of the state by six billion euro. Inflation itself, because when there is inflation, that means that the government take in more tax revenue. Inflation and the growth that we've seen since last year's budget has meant that we're taking in two billion more than was ever expected. So there is space to do this. Mm. And we're making it very clear that what the government needs to do is need to do stuff like cost of living, uh, cash payments for €200 for every single person in the state earning below €30,000, every single adult. For those above that Mm. threshold between 30 and 60, it should be €100. Money coming into people's, directly into people's pockets, which has happened Mm. in other jurisdictions. We need to see social welfare rates. But but you're making the same mistake, are you not? And that's a point that I was putting to your uh, spokesperson on social protection the other day, because the upshot of that could very well be that you'd give €200 to a couple earning 125000 who have a big, huge house with no mortgage and loads of money in the bank. Well, look, you can take an anomaly and say, yeah, that would be somebody with a millionaire and somebody that's earning 15,000. You know, the, the, the reality is these would be these would be targeted based on your income distributed through the revenue. And if your income is below 30,000 euro, you get 200 euro. It's not a huge amount of money. We recognize that. For a lot of people, it won't go far enough. That's why we have a suite of other measures. If you look at Boris Johnson, who's no you know hero of the working class or the poor, he's more in touch with where those individuals are and where their struggles are in Britain than the Taoiseach of this country uh, and the Green Party and Fine Gael because he introduced a mini-budget just last week which targeted up to £650 sterling to those on lower mm. on the lowest incomes, another 150 if you had disabilities. That's about a thousand euro for those individuals. Our government hasn't done any of that. The Taoiseach no said to you yesterday, you can't chase inflation away 
uh, by spending an extra one or two billion month after a month, it's not sustainable. Is that what you're intending to do? Not, not at all. But this, this is the point. What we want to do is we want to target the investment. We want to target the investment as the Fiscal Council has seen, as the Central Bank has seen, and as charities who are working on the front line. What the teacher wants to do is he wants to bury his head in the sand. He wants to say, and he, he made an address from Europe, akin to Charlie Hawley's famous address of the 1980s, tighten your belt, folks. The Taoiseach told the Irish public uh, that it's a rocky road ahead. Uh, be prepared for high energy costs for a long time to come. The Taoiseach, as I said, is not a commentator. We recognise that it's the war in Ukraine that's causing these high energy costs. But the Taoiseach has a responsibility, a duty, an obligation to mm. the Irish people to protect them as best as he can from these levels of inflation. And, 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 and the fact is that he is abdicating that responsibility. When, when, when other bodies are coming out and saying, look, you have space to do more, why is the Taoiseach saying, I'm doing nothing more until at least November of, of next year, or sorry, of, the, of this year? Mm. Five months away for many families, for many families, that is far, far too long. So, and come so October, uh, uh, the uh, Tánaiste Leo Vradker uh, has told his parliamentary party meeting, it seems, according to the reports in uh, the papers uh, this morning, that there will be relief for middle-income families who are earning 20, 30 euro an hour, maybe 40,000 a year, he said, and that there will be extra targeted measures for those who are on low incomes. Yeah, look, a budget will always have a package there, right? And I've heard statements from Leo Bradker. There's famous photographs of Leo Bradker holding up placards that he was going to abolish the USC. He then had a famous Ardesh speech about bringing everybody out of the, uh, the, the, the USC tax net and moving it into PRSI. He then made other pledges. Look, we know where Leo Baradkar, we know, you know, he, he craves media attention. He craves all of this. Uh, and the reality is he's punished it. He's mm. talking about October. They need to get in touch with where people are at right here, right now. People aren't worried about five months away. They're worried about five days away. They're worried about how they're going to make the electricity bill. They're worried about how much they're going to, how they're going to be able to afford to get to that hospital appointment. They're in fear of something basic like the washing machine breaking down or a new set of tyres on the car because how does that, how does their income stretch to that level? Yesterday we hear another energy company increasing their charges. Unfortunately, because you buy, you buy energy at nearly a year ahead. So we know already what the type of prices are going to be come the winter, which is really when the war in Ukraine really is going to affect energy prices. They're going to continue to increase. People need relief now, not commentary and spin from well, either the Taoiseach or the Tonish. That, that, that's why we need a mini-budget. I'm sure uh, there's uh, very few who would argue with that, certainly not the 5,000 people who you spoke about uh, who are going to that f- uh, food bank in the Midlands and they expect that to increase to 15,000 or the two-thirds of parents that Bernardo's are reporting on today uh, who say their children are going without food, heat, clothes or medical appointments for that matter. Uh, but that's as things stand. Is it going to get worse? Uh, the Taoiseach was saying something about having to be honest with people. It's We're going to see high energy prices for some time to come. And uh, I take it with that, there'll be a lot more uh, aside from the energy prices. Yeah, look, what, what, what we expect in terms of inflation is that inflation is probably going to peak in the summer and then start to come down. But remember, 
the way inflation works is like it's it, it's a these prices get locked in and then they just continue to grow unless you get deflation which is not expected we're looking at actually high inflation over the next number of years that means that these prices continue to rise and uh, they won't be rising at the same level but they're going to continue to rise so there is very very difficult times and that is why serious choices have to be made and serious uh, choices have to be made that are targeted at the most vulnerable and they have to be made right here right now and uh, so there are things there are, like look at the petrol pumps today you can see that in, in, in I haven't been back in Donegal, but in, in Dublin, uh, I was looking at last night 208 for unleaded. I was seeing 205 in other places. Mm. The government has the scope to actually reduce the, the cost of petrol and diesel further. They're not willing to do it. You heard the teacher on the clip that you paid talked about, you know, him boasting that he's limiting rent increases by 2%, you know, as if actually allowing a 2% increase is, is a good thing. It's not a good thing. Rent shouldn't be increasing at all. But what's happened in Louth in the last year? Rents have increased by 8%. What's happened in Donegal? Rents have increased by 22%. Like, these guys need to get real. And, and I say that genuinely because I genuinely believe that this government is so far out of touch with the realities of where a lot of people are at. Everybody feels a bit of a pinch from inflation. Mm. But like, if you're well paid, you know, if you're one of the people in the Iraq that's like myself and the colleagues, if you're a minister, then you're far better paid. Then you don't have the same pressures. You, you go without luxury items. This, that's not where the vast majority of people are at. People are making decisions that, are, that they should never be forced to make. Like, to hear in, in this day mm. and age, we've always had a level But you can't put everybody on welfare, can you? We're not asking. We're not suggesting that everybody should be in welfare. Mm. But what 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 is right? Well, I mean, it is a form of welfare if you're giving people two hundred euro or whatever. I mean, if the state is putting money directly in people's pockets, that's welfare, is it not? Yeah, but let me let me let me make this point here. And again, it's the fiscal advisory mm. council that made this point. As a result of inflation and the growth, which we've seen since the start of the year, the government are benefiting two billion euro more. The fiscal advisory report says that the measures that the government have introduced so far are actually less than what they're benefiting from the growth in inflation. Now, just just imagine that. And yet the, the queues for food banks in the Midlands are going to triple. We have frontline services, all of them saying the same thing. Enough is not being done. We have the most conservative elements of the state, the Central Bank and the Fiscal Advisory Council, saying the government has the space to introduce new targeted temporary measures to support those in low incomes. And then riddle me this, why does the Taoiseach and the Taoiseach say we're doing nothing until at least the budget? It doesn't make any sense. And the only reason I can, I can figure this out in my head is just they are so out of touch. And that can happen in politics. It can happen in politics. People with the best intention go into politics for the right reasons. They get surrounded uh, by people who are not suffering, who are not struggling, uh, and they lose touch with what is happening on the ground very, very quickly. And I think this government has, has done it spectacularly in a very short period of time. Thank you for joining us uh, this morning. Piers Doherty is Sinn Féin's spokesperson on finance. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now, of course, uh, the war in Ukraine is having a, an impact on everything. The cost of living is uh, through the roof. And it's not just uh, the cost of heating your uh, home or putting uh, petrol in your car uh, that uh, is seeing changes as a result of the Russian invasion. Moral invasion of Ukraine. And that invasion has brought untold misery, death, and human suffering. Almost six million Ukrainian people, six million, half of them children have been put on the road, have had to flee their country. 
uh, and forced to try and find sanctuary where they can get it, uh, equivalent to the entire population of this country. And that invasion has brought, uh, you know, that suffering, but it also has brought extraordinary economic cost and disruption with it. That's the Taoiseach, uh, Michal Martin, uh, speaking in uh, the Dáil yesterday about the economic costs and more. This war is having a very terrible impact on the world, primarily in terms of the deaths of so many Ukrainians and the terrible trauma that they're experiencing, but also bringing about huge economic cost and disruption, triggering um, a massive uh, spike in the cost of energy and with a huge increase uh, in the cost of a vast range of other materials, um, affecting food, agriculture, in terms of, uh, of fertiliser and so on, which all input into our society and economic system. Uh, and also, most devastating of all, it is causing and will cause a major security crisis, food security crisis, sorry. Uh, and we, yesterday we spoke to the President, the European Union did, of the African Union, um, who are extremely concerned about the impacts of this war on famine or to create the prospects of creating a really significant famine. Michal Martin, the Taoiseach speaking in uh, the Dáil yesterday. Let's speak now to Geisla Schmidt-Martin, who is Concerns Advocacy Advisor with a focus on conflict and hunger. And a very good morning to you, Geisla. Thank you indeed uh, for joining us on uh, the programme this morning. I take it that there's always a connection between conflict and hunger or a food crisis. But have we ever lived through a global food crisis? Good morning, Michael, and thank you so much for the opportunity to speak to you and your listeners um, this morning about this really critical issue. Um, You know, it's it's actually a very good question that you ask, because the reality is that ever before the current crisis that's resulting from the conflict in Ukraine, um, we've already had, you know, hundreds of millions of people worldwide who are facing hunger. So last year, 800 million people and more we're already facing emergency, facing hunger. And um, we could say that 189 million people last year were in what we call acute food insecurity. So really not knowing where their next meal is coming from. And of those, 139 million were in situations where conflict was the main driver of that hunger. So you've, you've sort of hit the nail on the head there in terms of one of the critical drivers of hunger even before the current crisis. Mm. And, and the current course, crisis of course, we're talking about what's often described to be the breadbasket of Europe uh, and it's not just that they can't farm because of the invasion or there won't be a, a harvest for that matter, but there's also Russian a- attacks on food supplies uh, and this could turn out to be an exceptionally serious problem. Well, I think what's um, really critical to, to point to in that context is that when you have a situation of conflict like you have now in Ukraine, there are laws of war. There are rules that we call international humanitarian law. And actually, attacks on civilian infrastructure, like you mentioned, food supplies, are illegal under those, uh, under those laws. So if, if you have um, farms or markets or uh, sources of food for the, for the civilian population, they shouldn't be attacked as long as they are civilian infrastructure. So that's a really critical point. Yeah, wishful wishful thinking in the current circumstance, unfortunately, Geisha. Well, we've heard reports, as you mentioned, of attacks 
um, on on such food sources. And then if you look at the, the broader picture, the attacks um, in Ukraine are leading to what we see is really an astonishing scale of displacement. And that in turn has an effect on people's food security because of course when you're moved out of your home, when you're moved out of your community, all of a sudden you really have to struggle to find new ways to feed yourself and your family as well as to provide for your livelihoods, uh, which is a, a more longer term solution. And then you've, you've mentioned as well, of course, uh, the, the critical issue of the broader impact of Ukraine. And I think the excerpts that you, you shared from Antishak Michal Martin were very pertinent and spoke to this. Um, so if you look at, for example, existing food crises in places where concern works, like Somalia or Sudan, it's really astonishing when you realise that they relied on Russia and Ukraine as the breadbasket for 90% of their wheat. Uh, and that's just one of the commodities that has been affected. And so, as you mentioned, the rising prices will affect everyone, yeah. really everyone, including the Irish people. But they will also affect the people living in poverty and vulnerability much more. And we also see with the example of Sudan or Somalia, that it will affect certain countries more than others because some depended on Ukraine and Russia for their supplies to a greater degree Mm. than others did. Okay, and obviously uh, people in far-flung corners of uh, the world uh, will be relying on charity under such circumstances uh, and concern uh, is working uh, across the world and after adding Ukraine to your list, uh, that brings Mm -hmm. you... Uh, to how many countries is it now? 265 countries, is it? So Concern is working in 26, uh, excuse me, 25 countries oh, worldwide. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So, I mean, I wish we could say we were working in all countries, but of course capacity mm. is always a restriction. Um, but we are working in, in 25 countries now yeah. with the addition of Ukraine. Yeah. And there it's important to mention that we're working really in close partnership with our local partner, People in Need, mm. that has been there long before the current crisis. Very good. Um, and, you know, we are seeing the immediate impact of this situation on the people that we work with in the countries where we work. And I think another important point that you raise is actually the impact of the cost of humanitarian assistance. Mm -hmm. So we work closely with the United Nations World Food Programme. And last year, they they sourced 50% of their wheat supplies from Ukraine alone. Uh, So, you know, it's clear that they're now looking to new sources, and that's resulting mm. in an increased price. So yeah. even though people are extremely generous and governments are also generous in terms of humanitarian assistance, mm-hmm. the, the value of that dollar is now much less than it was before. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm sure people will continue uh, to support Concern uh, to do your work uh, in uh, the 25 countries of uh, the world that you're working in now. Uh, forgive uh, my uh, mistake <laughs> there. Uh, and thank you indeed for joining us uh, this morning, Geisha. Good to talk Michael, to you. Michael, may, may I just suggest something as well for, yeah, for your yeah, listeners yeah, sure. in terms of in, just in case they're feeling a little bit overwhelmed by the numbers which can be mm. really you know quite striking um, but Concern is running a campaign at the moment called Nothing Kills Like Hunger we started it last year and actually I was in Drogheda myself in March and um, I was in you have a beautiful venue the Crescent Centre mm-hmm. and uh, Declan O'Rourke was there and he's a big supporter of the campaign because he has a special interest in, in famine having written a book about the Irish famine. 
and uh, he called on the members of the audience to sign our open letter, which is really pushing the Irish government and other global leaders to do more to prevent these types of crises from happening in the first place, because it's much more expensive and much more harmful to people if you have to respond to crisis rather than preventing it in the first place. So we have an open letter and it was really remarkable, the the response from the members of the audience uh, who came to us to sign the letter. And actually your listeners could do the same if they were interested. Um, It's at act.concern.net is the the website. And I know you're very active on Facebook and Twitter, so maybe we could also... Post no. the link there if, if that would work. Very good. Concern.net. Thank you, Geishla, for joining us on the programme this morning. Geishla Schmidt. Thank you so much, Michael. Thank you. Geishla Schmidt Martin, Concerns Advocacy Advisor, with a, a focus on conflict uh, and hunger. I think we can uh, hear a little bit more about Dublin Airport now uh, and indeed why you don't have to queue outside. You don't have to queue outside, no matter how many people are queuing outside, uh, if you use the Platinum service. Now it's a private check in, security, etc. Um, and, and you're familiar with it because you said you used it last Saturday, Mr. Phillips. I'm just wondering, did, did you pay for, for the use of Platinum Services or uh, did that come out of DAA expenses? No, it's it's a charge made to my cost centre. I don't personally pay for it, um, but I but it, it's a charge that's made into my travel budget. Right, that's uh, Dalton Phillips, the CEO of uh, the DAA, telling uh, Senator Lynn Boylan he doesn't pay for it, probably as well, because it's very expensive. Access to the Platinum Service starts at €295, Euro, and then you have the additional extras, um, like chauffeur services. I mean, so when you used the Platinum Services there uh, last Saturday, did you avail of the chauffeur element so, of it as well? Th- this is a product where you um, you you're, you you are taken uh, to the aircraft by a different vehicle. It's a very popular product, uh, and certainly as a CEO, um, I think it's important to see all our different products. Um, and I, I, I don't use it very much, to be quite honest. Um, I happen to, 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 to use it on Saturday because was, I was wanted... That, was that, Mr. Phillips, because the, the, the delays in the airport? So you availed of... Senator uh, Boylan. A very high-end system because there were delays already at, on Saturday when you were travelling to the airport. Senator Boylan, I, I, I did a 3 a.m. shift starting on Saturday last... Sorry, on Monday last week. I worked the full week. I worked Saturday. I went straight to the Middle East. As soon as I heard that there was an issue, I came straight back. So I certainly... I mean, I wouldn't... If, if, if there had been an issue, I wouldn't have gone on the flight because... The whole point was I went and came all the way back. I'd have saved myself the uh, company cost of traveling to the Middle East. And I certainly, had I known Sunday was going to be what it was, I certainly wouldn't have traveled on Saturday. No, and I get that. And I don't don't doubt that you work very, very hard. You're very well paid. But I don't doubt that you you work very, very hard for that money, as do a lot of the people who are working in the airport um, who are on a lot less money. And the great thing is you don't have to stand outside uh, with all those people waiting to get in. There's no queues. But did you choose to use the Platinum Services on Saturday because you already knew that there were starting to become significant delays through the airport and it meant that you didn't have to queue? So that you were able to bypass the queue by going through Platinum oh, Services? No, categorically not. I travel a lot. Um, and actually, you know, I, I normally would travel either 
through through uh, central search or through fast track. I would you know move between the two. Okay, Mr. Phillips didn't pay for it himself, but was it a freebie? The cost of you travelling through Platinum comes out of your your pay package with DAA. Is that correct? Then no, sorry. Um, to, to, to be clear. There is no such thing as a, a as a free travel pass through Platinum. So um, when when I did it in that example, Platinum Services will debit uh, my cost centre two hundred and ninety five euros um, because we it, this isn't a product that we you know use will you know willy nilly or we there's no gratuities here. Um, but I think it's important that as uh, a CEO, you experience all types of um, service through the airport. And certainly I would not have gone to the Middle East if I'd known that Sunday was going to happen. So, so your cost centre is your expenses? Yeah, it's, a, it, it's okay. an expense. There you have, have it. To- Out of the expenses, 295 before you pay for the plane ticket. That's the platinum service. Sounds like the way to go. Call Michael now. 041 983 the Michael Reed Show, brought to you by AirGrid, managing and planning the national grid so that everyone has electricity when and where they need it. Eddie Caffrey here, reminding you to join me every Saturday morning for the best in Irish country, Cayley and Ballads on the green scene from 10am till 1pm. If you have a special request, email it to me now. ecaffrey at lmfm.ie You can send it in by post or to our Facebook page. In association with John Lynch Carpets and Flooring, Effective Square Kells and Mullaboy Industrial Estate Navin for carpets, wooden floors, vinyl rugs and remnants. Expert fitting and complimentary measuring service. See johnlynchcarpets.ie or follow us on Facebook. Aldi, home of amazing grocery six offers, including multi-grain sliced pan was 109, now 79 cent. Brannan's deli-style carved ham was 229, now 149. Brannan's chicken or turkey slices was 199, now 149. Irish Mature White Cheddar was 195 now 149 and Kids Water 10 Pack 250ml was 279 now 249 That's the groceries done. Now who's making the pack lunches? Aldi, every day amazing. The Valley Inn Molera serves delicious bar food, lunch, early bird and a la carte dinner seven days a week. Exceptional value. The Valley Inn Molera, home of great food and friendly service. Restaurant Guru Award winners 2021. Find us on Facebook. Carrick Macross Street Festival celebrates its 20th birthday with its greatest festival yet. Fantastic carnival parade, street entertainers, arts and crafts, European and local markets, fun fair, magic show, petting farm, teddy bears picnic and top class free live music all weekend. Carrick Macross Street Festival in association with Carrick Macross Credit Union. Friday June 3rd to Monday 6th. Shop local. Shop at Briscoe's Expert, Tohada, Malahide and Briscoe's.ie. Clean up with our fantastic range of laundry. Save up to 30% on our huge range of home appliances from brands you can trust. Milia, Hotpoint, Whirlpool, Indeset, Bosch. Shop online at Briscoe's.ie for click and collect or delivery direct to your door. Briscoe's Expert, Tohada, Malahide and Briscoe's.ie. Stop paying above the odds for your home insurance. Call us now on 0818. 121121 or log on to peopleinsurance.ie for a fast and easy quote. Michael at lmfm.ie The Michael Reed Show with AirGrid managing and developing the national electricity grid so that it's fit for our current needs and ready for our future ones. Should LMFM workers uh, be allowed uh, to go on strike 
because of a problem in XFM. Well, yes, secondary picketing or support strikes should be allowed. Uh, This is part of a piece of legislation, the Fair Employment Bill, which is being launched today by the Trade Union Left Forum. Jimmy uh, Doran is chairperson of TU uh, Left Forum. Good morning to you, Jimmy, and thank you indeed uh, for joining us on uh, the programme this morning. Tell us a a little bit about uh, this legislation, because it hopes to undo measures that were put in place by the government some 32 years ago. That's correct. Uh, good morning, Michael, and thanks for having me on. Uh, yeah, the 1990 Act was brought in, obviously 1990, and it restricts uh, what workers do and tips the balance of power uh, much more on the side of employers and away from um, workers. Um, it removes autonomy from trade unions in the sense that um, there are a lot of rules and regulations around secret ballots and um, notice for industrial action, be it strike or work to rule or... Um, overtime bans or anything like that. So in other words, um, unions always had secret ballots for strikes, but uh, the government decided in its wisdom that um, they should put all these other um, rules and regulations around them in the sense that um, um, if if an employee or a worker said anything during the ballot that could influence the outcome of it, um, there could be an injunction taken to stop the industrial action taking place. So um, another one is that... um, all workers must have uh, an equal opportunity to vote. They always have, they always did. Mm. But um, if there's a, a little bit of confusion created around that, well, uh, the, an injunction would be got. And it, there was a recent case there a couple of years back of uh, Ryanair, uh, balloted 180 pilots uh, for strike action, and uh, only 70 uh, voted in the ballot. And when it went uh, to, when Ryanair took it to court for an injunction, the judge found it incredible that only 70 out of 180 would vote in the ballot. And to be quite honest, um, it's incredible that the judge uh, believed that because that's the norm in industrial uh, relation ballots. You don't have high outcomes on But, you know, the judiciary are not in sync with the thinking of uh, the working uh, person or trade unions or anything like that. Also, individual workers are totally isolated. The Dunn Stores anti-apartheid strike is illegal as a relation or as a result of the 1990 Would be today. Um, uh, And uh, you want trade unions to become radical or to become radical again. Uh, But many would argue that uh, the 92 Act brought uh, industrial harmony to this country after decades of industrial unrest. It was strike after strike during the 70s and the 80s for that matter. Yeah, well, you know, there is this narrative created that uh, trade unions are some sort of a uh, a mad organisation that will go out on strike at the drop of a hat. Workers can't afford to go out on strike. Strike pay is very, very low, and they will only go out when forced to. So good, decent employers have absolutely nothing to fear from this legislation. This legislation is there to protect the most vulnerable, the low-paid, the people in precarious work, who are now abandoned uh, by this legislation and restricted in what they can do. And they're so afraid they won't join unions because mm. they see there's, there's no point, they can't take any action. Anytime there is uh, action taken, there's a court case and it goes on for months, if not years, in the in, in the, um, the the courts before anything is sorted out. And by then, that case is forgotten about. And uh, the um, the impetus of the, uh, the uh, industrial action is gone. You okay, know? but do you want to go back to a, a time where we all had to have candles in uh, for fear of the lights going out uh, at night and we'd sit around the candles without any television because the ESB were on strike? Well, uh, you know, to be honest, uh, those candles and those nights without the TV have guaranteed the ESB workers decent paying conditions. And there's nothing outdated about decent paying conditions. So if there is a sector of the workers 
uh, of Ireland who are being mistreated, mm. um, yes, they should have the right to take industrial action and defend their rights uh, and, and, and make new ground. And secondary picketing, support strikes and sit-ins. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Why not? Uh, Clearly, prime example, come in uh, overnight and close, close the place down. The workers weren't even allowed to, to clear their lockers. And the, the, the private security firms and balaclavas came in to remove workers there who'd been working there for over 40 years. So uh, would you be against the, the workers sitting in there? I don't think I would. Mm. Okay, um, but what, what uh, political support, uh, I mean, as I said at the start, this is a, a piece of legislation uh, that you're proposing. What political support have you got for it? Well, we're only launching it tonight, so yeah. there's no political support at this moment. So the, the, the aim tonight is to get um, the Irish Congress of Trade Unions to back it already. Their affiliated yeah. unions have all voted in favour of creating a piece of legislation like this. Um, recently in the North, um, you had um, the Trade Union Freedom Bill proposed by Jerry Carroll, which Sinn Féin backed up there, so we would be um, hoping Sinn Féin would back this bill down here as well. Do you need a politician or a political party to take this to the doll if it's ever to be realised, of course? That's the purpose yes. of the question. Yeah. We, we, we have no doubt that there would be politicians willing to take this. Mm. And uh, we have spoken privately, but that's not in public domain yet. But it will come in the coming uh, days and weeks. Okay, and it follows on from a, a motion uh, that was supported at uh, the ICTO conference some time ago. That's correct, yeah. yeah. It was uh, proposed by the Dublin Council of Trade Unions. And uh, the, the, the main tenet of it was that all rights lost as a result of the 1990 Industrial Relations Act, uh, that ICTO would campaign for legislation to replace those acts. Um, and, and that's what we have done. Nothing has happened in the interim. So okay. um, we've decided uh, to step up to the mark and uh, we have uh, drafted a bill and uh, we are launching that tonight at six o'clock in Middle Abbey Street, United Union Hall. Um, and all are welcome to attend. Thank you, Jimmy Doran, uh, Chairperson of Trade Union Left Forum. That's our programme for today. God willing, we'll see you for our next programme tomorrow morning at 9am on LMFM. Good morning, bye-bye. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.